0: Uh, I'm Jack, one of the pastors here, if we haven't met yet, so hey. Um, and uh, we started this series called Emotion Pictures last week looking at the reality of how do you deal with how you feel because we all have feelings, whether you're a stoic type person who doesn't express your feelings all that much or whether you're a person, maybe like me, who's wears your emotions on your sleeve a little bit more. Uh, people always try to guess when you're gonna start crying in the movie, all that kind of stuff. Um, <clears throat> really get tired of that with my kids, but it's it's part of who I am and so I just embraced it. And so the reality is we all have emotions. In fact, we're made in the image of God. The uh, the Bible tells us that we're not him, but we're made in this image, we're made in this likeness and so we have similarities and so we recognize that throughout the Bible we see that God feels And that he's wired us with emotions. So we have a physical part of us, we have an emotional part of us, we have a mental part of us, and and all of this fits together. And we wanted to do a series looking at emotions because the reality is how you deal with your emotions not only helps you in life, but it really has a lot to do with your spiritual journey as well. In fact, um, we looked at this verses here in Psalm 139. If you're not familiar with Psalm 139, I wanna really encourage you in this series to look it up. Psalm 139 is one of those beautiful passages of scripture that talk about how God is not a distant God and kind of dialed off, kind of running the whole universe. He's really dialed into you, he understands you, he knits you together, and we looked at these verses that you've searched me, O Lord, you know me, you're familiar with me. God's familiar with how you're wired. He understands that because he was involved in the whole creation process. You created my inmost being. You knit me together. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. It's a great psalm as a family to lean into because this is a series, remember, that our students are doing, that our kids are doing, we're kind of all leaning into this a little bit together, and this book that uh, I recommended last week, Emotional Healthy Spirituality, written by Peter Scazzaro. uh and he has this quote on there, and I just want to remind us about it, that you can grow to be spiritually mature, you can't grow to be spiritually mature if you remain emotionally immature that this idea that emotional maturity and spiritual maturity are not the same thing, but they become each other's ceilings. So if I don't grow in my emotional maturity and how I handle my emotions, how I navigate how God's wired me, then it may limit or put some, some hurdles in my path of trying to grow spiritually. And so we wanted to take this journey, and tonight we're gonna look into the emotion of sadness. I know you're all like super jazzed that you're here now, and you're like, man, I told you we should have skipped. Just sadness, really, preacher dude? That's what you want to talk about? Like, I try to avoid this emotion as much as possible. It's why I eat ice cream, (laughs) by the pint. Um, so it's, it's how I try to get away from this, because in our culture, sadness is like this taboo thing that you're not supposed to have. Or if you have it, it's supposed to be limited in its nature and its scope, that it's not something to be a part of your life. It's only maybe to bend, like it's like a, a pimple, and you're supposed to pop it and get rid of it, and it is, it's not something that's supposed to be there. And so we kind of push back on sadness. In fact, we really try to push sadness down and we try to hype up happiness, don't we? And last week, we looked at this emotion of joy, realizing that joy is far greater than happiness. In fact, there's some studies done about happiness in our culture, that back in the early uh, 90s, there was about a couple hundred studies on happiness done every year. But there was a trend that began to happen. And by the year 2014, There were over 10,000 studies done on happiness every single year. In the year 2000, there was about 50 books on the market that you could get that dealt with happiness. Guess how many exist just eight years later? It went from 50 to 4,000. There was something happening in psychology to understand that hey we've got to pursue happiness so there's so much research so much study so much done for it and the problem is it didn't lead anywhere the problem is this happiness frenzy in a lot of ways has failed to deliver because you look around now and you have conversations with people and i talk to more and more people who are in despair after all these years of pursuing happiness that's why we said joy is a biblical concept, is so much greater, and so much better than happiness, because happiness is just circumstantial based, but joy, joy is a divine gift, and it can be with you no matter what circumstances transpire. It's because we live in a culture that looks at sadness as a disease, and says we want to push that down, and so we want to prop up happiness. And if you're familiar with this movie, we, we kind of basing this on the in, Inside Out movie. If you haven't watched it yet, I encourage you to do that. Uh, but there's this struggle that goes on. Kind of the two main character emotions are joy and sadness. And we have put a couple clips together. You're going to watch it here. But you, if you've seen this movie, you remember this, this dilemma that's going on, this battle almost between the emotions of joy and sadness and how joy in a lot of ways was trying to put sadness in its place. So let's watch this together. It's a great movie in the sense that you can feel this tension, right, existing between joy and sadness. That even in a cartoon character, what they're trying to say is often what we feel, is when I feel sad, well, I feel bad. And no one wants to feel bad because we're in a culture that says you, you shouldn't feel bad. You should feel good. and If you don't feel good, well, then go shopping. If you don't feel good, well, then go eat something. If you don't feel good, then go do this or go do this activity. Go have this experience because that's how you should feel. And so there's this current in our culture that's always pushing us away from sadness. And and tonight, what I'd like to do, uh, with your permission, even without it, um, is just kind of take us on a journey a little bit about what the Bible has to say about sadness and maybe how to navigate it that it might help you in life because there's actually some benefit to it. Now that doesn't mean you have to live in a life of sadness, but the seasons of sadness that come your way, that you can actually lean into them and gain something for your betterment and for the help of other people. And so sadness, often in the Bible, uh, is called lamenting. In fact, there's lots of psalms about lament. There's a whole book called, anyone? Lamentations. Uh, Guess what Lamentations is about? The whole book. Sadness, except for about four verses. We'll look at them today. Um, but the whole book is about the fall of Jerusalem in 586 when Babylon takes over, and it's Jeremiah writing about just, uh how this feels. Anyone ever had a, uh moment in life? Really, one of us. I'm going to beg to differ that I think you've had those moments, that's what sadness is. It's those moments of not just sadness, it's this idea of loss. It's this idea of, of something not going your way. In the Psalms, often you can kind of break Psalms down into three different categories. There's the Psalms of orientation, which is about the, the good times in life, about living with a praise and a heart, uh, longing to give God praise and that all things are well and that you're sitting well with God. There's the, the kind of the, the Psalms of disorientation. It's kind of where the bottom falls out where you feel sad, you feel lost, you feel hurt, you're wondering, where is God in the midst of what's going on? The kind of questions that we never ask anybody else, but that we wonder deep within our own heart, God, where are you? I don't understand what's going on. See, that's lamenting. Then the other third part of the Psalms is reorientation. It's, and as you make your way through this disorientation period, and you realize God's with you, and that he's gonna see you through and it kind of awakens your heart on the other side of the drama or the trauma that you've gone through, this stress. So prayers of lament uh, have an important part in our life in those seasons of disorientation, those seasons where we feel lost, we, we feel like the bottom of life has fallen out from underneath us, we struggle with that. Whether it's in a, a tidal wave from an ocean that hits you, like dealing with, uh, for some of you, dealing with abuse dealing with divorce, dealing with the, the death of a loved one that was close to you, dealing with uh, a severe loss of job and not being able to find one, just things that if you and I were just sitting in a coffee shop and talking about, it, just, it, it hurts your heart, and I'm really sorry, because I know those tidal waves come. And maybe it's not a tidal wave that's hit you yet. Maybe it's just the puddles of life. It's those little things of walking by the mirror and realizing, hey, I'm getting older. <laughs> Anyone? Okay, uh, so you walk by and you realize, hey, life doesn't stop and, and I'm getting there. Maybe there's some little storms of life. Your children are moving away and it's just different at home and there's just different things that are going on with you. Friendships begin to fade or a romance ends in heartache. Maybe your favorite pet is no longer with you. It's just, maybe it's the little puddles of life that come. Maybe it's an, an ocean wave that hits you, but no matter what it is, you're hit by it because sadness in those seasons of lamenting, no one avoids them. No one gets to escape past them. They're a part of life, and the Bible is filled with laments that help maybe put some words to what we're feeling and what we're struggling, the questions that we're wrestling with. And the reason it's good to wrestle with these laments is because it, when people say the cliches that we hear, God causes all things to work together for good. Is that true? Yes, it's true. Does it help you in the moment? Not at all. If, if people say, hey, don't worry, be happy. Does that help? No, it just makes you frustrated with that person because they're just giving you a cliche. They're giving you, here's the reality, a bumper sticker saying doesn't comfort a hurting heart. The presence of Jesus and your presence with your friends, that's what comforts a hurting heart. So when you face those hurts, and you face those struggles, what you want is the presence of God. You want the presence of friends and people with you in those midst, that's what you long for. You don't long for the saints, and listen, those sayings might well be true. The fact that Jesus never does leave you, and he is with you, and he can comfort you, that is very true, but it doesn't make everything better, magically in the midst of those heartaches, in the midst of those laments. That's why in the psalmist, when you read about them writing laments, they're not pouting in a corner. They're bringing their lament somewhere. Where are they bringing it? To the feet of Jesus, to the footstool of God. They are bringing their lament and their pain there. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen someone go through a lamenting period, a loss that brings their heartache to God. I've seen a lot of people who go through a lot of heartache and they run from God. They don't want anything to do with them, And I get that, emotionally. I understand what might drive that. But what you read in the Psalms, what you see in the Scriptures over and over is that God is the place where we can bring our lamenting heart with all of our warts and with all the rawness and the realness of it. Listen, David had a lot of faults but the reason he's called a man after God's own heart is because he was real with God. You can read through some of the laments he writes and they're rough. They are rough to read because it's raw and it's real and for some of us sometimes, we feel like we can't bring our real emotions to God, like somehow we're gonna offend him. Can I just put you at ease? God already knows how you're feeling And you don't have to clean up your heart or your language or the hurt or the heartache to come into his presence. You're not gonna shock him. And nor is he ever gonna turn away. I think God absolutely loves to meet people in the midst of their heartache. Because that is where you're real. That's where you're real. Uh, Joy can be this butterfly that flutters about, right? And happiness can be these things, and these mountaintop experiences, and God can meet us there. But when you're in the valley of valleys, I think that's where God loves to meet his people. Because I believe that's where God wants to do some of his best work, with his presence. And you may not hear a thing In fact, you may feel like God's a million miles away, but friend, He is as close as you're reaching out because he loves you. He's never gonna run away, and that's where transformation can happen, in those places where we begin to bring our hearts to him, where we begin to wrestle with those questions of God, where are you? Why, Why did you allow this to happen? Why don't you wake up and do something Those raw emotions are there. That's why the prayer of the psalmist in the laments always kind of starts with this growl almost. God, where are you? I don't understand. And by the end of the prayer, here's what you see. It's the psalmist calling out, God, I I still don't understand. I don't get it. All the pieces aren't fitting together. But I know you're here. And I know you're good. And I don't know why, but I know who. Who? and I'm willing to stay with who? With you, and we'll figure out the whys. That's why the whole book of Lamentation in Jeremiah lamenting everything that's unfolding for the people of God, and it's just lament after lament until right in the middle, here's what you read. In Lamentations chapter three, verse 22 through 26, here's what it says. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance, therefore I will hope in him. The situation hasn't changed, but his attitude is adjusting. The Lord is good, and to those who depend on him, to those who search for him, so it's good to wait quietly for salvation, for the help that come from him. So in the midst of this lamenting, He's positioning his heart attitude to say, okay, I still got my hurt. I don't understand what's going on, God, but I'm bringing it to you. See, the difference between lament and self-pity, a couple thoughts. Lamenting is, it connects us to God. It connects us to the larger story that's happening around us, even in the midst of our confusion. See, self-pity shuts us up in our own little prison of pain, and we isolate ourselves. And we get stuck there, and we begin shutting out everyone else and even God. And then we wonder why we feel alone. Because we've, we haven't come to a place of lamenting, where we get to connect to God, we've actually come to a place of self-pity. And we put ourselves in our own little prison. Eugene Peterson talks about this idea that when we're in the story of everything that we understand from a biblical perspective, everything eventually will come together. There is this overarching narrative through the scriptures that all the puzzle pieces will fit one day and that maybe even years later you will exclaim, oh, that's why I didn't get it at the time. That's what happened. But being part of God's story means that we must not go ahead of the plot line We can't skip the hard parts. We can't erase the painful parts or detour around the disappointments because it's all part of the story that God is writing. It's all part of the story of creating and and making you the best possible you. That doesn't mean God makes all those things happen. We live in a broken world where bad people do bad things, where broken people do broken things, and we all get affected by it. So it's not that God causes things to happen, but in his sovereignty, he allows things to happen. And for some of you, you may sit here and go, Jack, you don't understand. Why did God allow this? And I don't know. I don't know. I'm so sorry. Sorry. I know for some of you, this is not puddles. This is oceans. And I'm so sorry. I'd love to hear about it. I'd love to hear what you've dealt with. I'd just love to be with you. I think that's the heart of God. And in our busy pace of life, often the thing need, the people need most is time and we don't have it. Especially when they're hurting. And so what we try to do is, well here's a cliche. Here's a, a verse. Here's a thought I'm thinking of you, praying for you. That's good, you should do that. None of those things are bad. What people really need in that moment is you and they need God to come alongside and, and you can do your part, God will do his part. He's never messed up with that. But see, laments increase the amount of compassion in our heart. When we go through seasons of sadness, of loss, of frustration, of disorientation, that's the season, and only in that season, where God can do his greatest work to begin to improve and increase the amount of compassion in your heart. What's the most described emotion of Jesus when you read through the Gospels? I've told you this several times, I'll tell you again. Compassion. The most described emotion of Jesus through the Gospel accounts is compassion. He's moved with compassion. That is a telltale sign of the heart of God. And it's not to be missed. Are you growing in your capacity of compassion, your compassion capacity, if you will? Friends, maybe that's more a sign of spiritual maturity than how many Bible verses you know and how many church services you've sat through. Those are necessary and those are good. But is your heart becoming more and more like Jesus? Because that's what God's up to. Peter writes in this book, he says these words, to the degree of which uh, I learn, or you learn, to the degree to which I learn to grieve my own losses is in direct proportion to the depth and quality of my relationship with God, my connection to him, and the compassion that I can offer to others. That this idea of regular lamenting of making it a point to, to bring my sorrows, to bring my hurts, even when in, in they're small, to bring it to the foot of the cross and say, Jesus, I understand you understand loss. You understand rejection. You understand hurt. You understand abandonment better than anybody. And so you're a safe place for me to bring my hurt and my struggles. I can bring my lament to you. See another difference between lament and self-pity is lament opens us up and it connects us with the suffering of others. Self-pity makes it all about you and you kinda isolate into yourself and self-pity is just about me. It's about my pain, my problems, my gripes and you lose the capacity to see suffering in others where lamenting is, hey, I can bring my suffering and I notice that you're suffering too. Why don't we both go to the foot of the cross, go to where Jesus is, because I know he understands suffering and the the better thing is he understands resurrection power. He understands how to make it through to the other side and he knows how to pour in the power to make through the suffering journey that you're on or that I'm on. When we bring our laments to God, it's a safe place to grow. It's a safe place to bring it. And it can grow compassion in our hearts. Second Corinthians chapter one says this, one of my favorite verses when I, I do funerals, when I'm talking to families, is I point this out, that all praise to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God of our merciful Father, and the source of all comfort. I love that God wants to be known as the source of all comfort. Isn't that awesome that he wants that title? He comforts us in our trouble, so that we can then turn and comfort others. When they're troubled, we'll be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. The reality is, as you navigate loss, God's gonna comfort you. God's gonna hopefully bring some good friends around you that will be with you in that process. And then as you move from disorientation to reorientation, that you can then turn to help comfort others that are maybe dealing with laments or sadness in your life. God comforts us so that we can come alongside others. He never wastes pain or sorrow or grief. He pours in his comfort so we can be, we can be a conduit then to begin to pour it to others. Maybe you've heard this verse before, that God captures every one of your tears. Do you ever think about that? The creator of the heavens and the earth actually notices when you cry. And he captures your tears. The psalmist writes this, Psalm 56, 8, if you want to write it down. You keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. There's not a tear you shed that God doesn't see. That's what the scriptures are saying. We have a savior who understands. Can I just read you a quick stat? The Bible consists of 66 different books that make up the Holy Scriptures. These books um, have 1,189 chapters, comprised of 31,173 verses. The shortest verse in the Bible captures one of the biggest principles of God. God cares, because here's the shortest verse in the Bible, John 11:35. 35, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. God cares, God sees, God knows. And God's heart is moved with compassion for you, with compassion for your friends, with compassion for the people around you. And his heart says, look, you can take your pain to him. So often in our world we try to bury our pain, we try to ignore it, we try to numb it, or we just try to carry it alone. And where can you go with your pain? and Well, you can bring it to God. Make it a pattern in your life to bring your pain, your hurts, your sorrows, your setbacks, your disappointments, to bring that to God. David writes, he gives us a great example in Psalm 55. He says, as for me, I call out to God, and the Lord saves me. Evening, morning, and noon, I cry out in distress, and he hears my voice. This is not a one and done kind of thing. This is, as long as I'm hurting, I'm calling out to God. God, you're the one that I can bring my pain to. You've said that you wanna be the God of all comfort, and I need your comfort. Here's what's happened. Here's how I'm feeling. Here's all the raw emotions that I have. I know it doesn't scare you. In fact, you just wanna move closer, and we can bring our hearts and our hurt there. And at the same time, as we do that with God, I hope that you have some safe people that you can do that with. Some people in your life that you would make it a pattern to have some safe people that can help carry your pain and that you could be a safe person for someone else. That you would make it a pattern in your life to say I want to be a person that is a safe person for other people who are carrying pain. Look, you can't be the cure for someone's pain. Only Jesus can do that. But you can help them carry their burden. That's, Gal- that's Galatians 6. Carry one another's burdens. It doesn't mean that you can carry it forever, but it means for a season you can help that person. And you can mourn with them. You can encourage them. You can come alongside and say, you're not in this alone. You're gonna be a person that helps. Uh, Romans twelve fifteen. we looked at this verse last week. I, I think, um, in all seriousness, I, I think... This is one of the most practical, relational verses in the whole Bible. And if we could just do this verse, I believe we would be a revolutionary kind of church. If you could just begin to practice this particular verse, I think it will revolutionize your parenting, your relationship with your spouse, the relationship you have with your friends. It's so huge. Last week we looked at this idea of rejoicing with those who rejoice. This idea that when someone has something happen to them that you just celebrate with them. It doesn't mean that it has to be something that you like but when they like it, when it lights up their eyes that you come alongside and celebrate with them. The second half of this verse is that you mourn with those who mourn. How do you do that? Well, I wanna walk you through a little bit of I think the most practical way to do that. You mourn with those who mourn. The reality is, every single one of us has an emotional cup as a part of our life. It's just how we are because we all feel. We're, we're made in the image of God and, and we have this emotional part of us. So we just have this emotional cup that makes up our life. And, and we have things happen to us. We have some joys that happen. We have some setbacks that happen. Maybe uh, somewhere along the line, you got hurt. Maybe it was a, a parent who said something to you and it just added a little bit to your emotional cup. Maybe it was a friend who, who did something uh, to you and it just it kind of jarred you. And it just began to fill you up a little bit with these hurts that we all carry. Uh, Maybe it was a disappointment on your own accord, something that happened that maybe you didn't follow through on or you didn't kind of do it your best at it and it just kind of happened but it hurt that it didn't follow through the way that you envisioned it to go. And what happens is we get hurt and if we don't deal with the hurt, well then things continue to just pile up and so hurt turns into resentment. And then that resentment just kind of turns into bitterness for people. And then that bitterness kind of takes this way of just saying, look, uh, I've got this incredible frustration, this resentment, i become defensive, I've become insecure, and pretty soon you just become an angry person. And so your emotional cup gets really full. And then you just kind of have relationship with people. You kind of just live life alongside people, right? And you bump into them and something happens and you just... <laughs> and it just kind of goes all over because your emotional cup is really full. You've never dealt with your hurt. And so if you've ever been at an airport and you see a person just scream at one of the workers at the counter, I bet 9 times out of 10 it's not frustration that's driving that they got hurt somewhere. And they never dealt with it. And so it just turned into resentment and bitterness. And it just kept growing. And now they're just an angry, angry person. Listen, you know people like this, who their emotional cup is filled to the brim. And if you bump into them the wrong way, well, you'll know what's gonna happen. So Jesus said the same in Matthew chapter five, verse four. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Not blessed are those who just get over it, for they'll be comforted. Not blessed are those who just kind of put it to the side, for they'll be comforted. No. Uh, Blessed are those who just forgive super easily, because they'll... Be comforted. No, no. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. So how do you mourn with someone? Gosh, I'm really sorry that happened. I know that you had these dreams at work, and then to have your boss come in and just kind of reassign you, I know that was disappointing. I'm so sorry that happened. How do you feel? the day that that happened, that conversation, what was that like? And then you just listen. Gosh, I can't imagine the sorrow that you're going through, that they're here today. And here we are tonight, and they're not coming home. Man, that stinks. I'm so sorry. Are you doing okay? And then you just listen. See, it takes time to mourn. It takes focus to mourn. It takes intentionality just to listen to people. But as you listen, that's what mourning is. It's just saying, I'm so sorry that happened. I I can't imagine what you're feeling. Would you want to tell me a little bit about it? And as people open up and they share their story, do you know what's happening? They're beginning to empty their emotional cup a little bit. This is why you already know who good people are who mourn with you, because it's the people you call. You already naturally know this. What I wanna encourage you to do is to be a person who intentionally does this. Because I'm convinced if the church, not just elements, if the church was to actually practice this Bible verse, rejoice with those who rejoice, and mourn with those who mourn, it would revolutionize relationships that you have at work, in your neighborhood, in your networks, it would just change things. And I bet people would even be open to inviting them closer to the Jesus you follow. So it's coming before God. God, here's my emotional cup right now. It is at the brim. And I just need to spend some time with you. You may not hear an audible voice But I wanna encourage you to read some of the laments in the Psalms. I think the Psalms is the worship book for the last 2,000 years. Ever since I was 15, I've spent time each year reading through the Psalms. And they are life-giving. Because they just help put words to the emotions that you feel. So I invite you to consider that maybe this week. Be a safe person for others to come to. To be a person who can bring uh, their hurts to you and you can come alongside them because God's come alongside you and he poured in his comfort so that you can turn and comfort others. What if we just begin to practice this and live this out? To help people with their emotional cup to say, look, it doesn't have to be filled to the brim. Let's deal with some of this hurt because when you see an angry person, nine times out of 10, it goes back somewhere to a hurt. It's not just angry because they're angry. Something happened. So let's go back here. Let's, let's let Jesus be a part of this process. And let's let his love in and through us begin to change us. So that's the invitation this week. I know sadness is one of those things you're like, woo, um. but it's a part of life, right? Anyone ever been sad before? Yeah, we all have time there. So how would it be this week that when you have those moments, you're able to say, God, I'm gonna bring my pain to you. I'm gonna bring what what ails me to you, and I'm gonna trust you with it. See, the reason we can do that is because we have a savior who cares. We have a savior who cares so much that not only did he come live a life and put compassion on display for everyone to see, but he said he was gonna take it even a step further. He say compassion wasn't just, I'll be with you in the moment. I'm gonna create a way for you to be with me forever. And so he lives this life and he takes this journey to the cross on your behalf and on my behalf. That when we celebrate communion, that's what we're remembering. Is that his compassion wasn't just limited to, hey, I'm so sorry that happened. It's, I'm gonna make a way for you to be healed from that. I'm gonna make a way for it to be better. That that doesn't have to be the last part of your story. It could just be the turning point of the story of what I have for you. And so we remember in communion in a moment as we continue to worship, as we sing here in a moment, we remember his life and his death and his resurrection. And so Father, I pray that tonight as we take communion here, as we worship with a couple songs, that we continue to lean into you. God, sadness is not something that we normally want. We don't crave it. You don't tell us that we need to crave it. The realities that will come our way. And so in the midst of those seasons, may they be short, but in the midst of them, may we lean into it. We don't have to live there, but can we lean into it? And can you do a transformational work in us that you can only do in those seasons? Transforming our hearts to be growing in our compassion capacity. Transforming our hearts with comfort that can come from you. Transforming us to be safe people to help mourn with others, to meet them in those moments, and maybe invite them a step closer to you. So we remember Jesus. Your life, your death, your resurrection, as we take communion here, and as we sing to you in these next few moments, we ask that you be with us, share our hearts. God, some of us have got some disorientation in our own life. So in these next few minutes, we just wanna sit and bring it to you. And Holy Spirit, would you have your way in our hearts tonight.